Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here, my first time speaking in chapel here. So I was asked yesterday if I was nervous. My initial response was, no, it's just college students. And then uh, as I was saying that, I realized that one of the prayers that I've had for my entire ministry has been that God would always make me nervous. That as we open the word of God, it should be significant for us. And so I am nervous this morning because this is what matters. And so this morning, as you turn to 2 Samuel 7, as we continue in the sermon series that the faculty have been going through over the last semester, we're going to pick up where Dr. Kurtz left off on Monday. He left off looking at 2 Samuel 5 and 6, and so this morning we'll be in 2 Samuel 7 at this pinnacle moment in the life of David and in the books of Samuel. Before we read the text, I want to pray with the church as they've been praying for a millennia, a prayer that comes from the ancient church. So let's pray together this morning, and then we'll turn to 2 Samuel 7. May Jesus, our God, the first and the last, living unto the ages of ages, the one who holds the keys of death and hell, may he grant you who are about to read a pure heart and pure lips and a voice like a loud trumpet to announce the word to impure spirits. And for those who are about to hear, open our ears, O Lord, that we may understand what the Spirit says to the church. Amen. It is a great privilege to be able to preach this morning. And our faculty do love you, as Dr. Kurtz pointed out last week, and as our faculty will repeat to you over and over again, we long to see you grow in your spiritual formation, and we take it as a great privilege, but also a great responsibility to be part of that spiritual formation. And so this morning, that is what we are hoping to do. So let's look at 2 Samuel 7 as we consider this pinnacle point of Samuel's writing, starting in verse 1. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this very day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, 
I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. I remember well the day during my, the summer after my freshman year in high school when I woke up and realized that this was going to be a very different time of my life. I finally had reached a goal that I had been aiming for for the vast majority of my life. You see, I got up that morning and I walked into my family's living room and I saw my dad standing there and I walked over next to him and I stood up and I realized that for the very first time in my life, I looked down at my dad. Now, that's not a huge deal for many people, but for me, that made me the tallest person in my immediate family. I stood up and realized I was finally five foot eight. <laughs> and again, that's not all that impressive, but when you had a childhood like mine, it made a whole bunch of difference. You see, my best friend growing up was a man named Spencer. I met him when he was in third grade, I was in first grade, and when he was in third grade, he was six foot tall. I was not. We went everywhere together. His family was my family, my family was his family. Everyone knew that if you saw him coming, I was going to be in tow. So picture it, picture me with my best friend, so think of something like me standing next to Dr. Kimball all the time. Glad that was funny. So that moment in the summer after my freshman year when I realized I was the tallest in the room for at least a little while, it was absolutely exciting. And I realized that now some part of my identity was caught up in this idea that I was five foot eight. So my high school soccer program said that I was five foot eight and weighed, I don't know, a buck 25. My college soccer program said that I was five foot eight and I had gained a little bit of weight. I was weighing 137. I was mean on the soccer field. Fast forward a few years and I'd gotten married and my wife saw that I was having a few problems with blood sugar, wanted me to go to the doctor. Being the, the selfish person that she was, she didn't want to be a young widow. So she asked me very nicely to go to the doctor and being the loving husband that I was, I waited for her to ask me 20 or 25 times and finally decided that I would go. 
And what happened that day was earth shattering. Because I walked into the doctor's office and they did exactly what they always do. The nurse took me aside and she said, I need to get your vitals. You need to stand here on this scale. And then you need to stand up by that medieval torture device. Put your heels up against the wall. Stand up as straight as you can. So I did. Stood up as straight as I could. And she said, no, you have to look straight ahead. So I looked straight ahead. And she pulled up that measuring tape and put it right on my head and she wrote down some numbers. So I looked over her shoulder, couldn't quite make out what she read and I said, well, can you, can you tell me what you wrote down? And she said, yeah, I wrote down your weight and your height. I think she thought she was funny. So I asked her, well, what were the numbers you wrote down? She gave me my weight, I wasn't too concerned about that and then she said, I wrote down your height as 65 inches. Now, I was in seminary, and they promised me there would be no math. (laughs) But even I could figure out that 65 inches wasn't adding up to that five foot eight that I was so excited about several years prior. So I did what any good man would do. I said, you need to measure me again. (laughs) I kid you not, she did. She wasn't happy. I was still 65 inches tall. My entire earth shattered around me. What we see happening to David in 2 Samuel 7 is, in a very serious way, the exact same thing. You see, David, when he starts in 2 Samuel, has found himself waking up as the proverbial tallest man in the kingdom. He's finally been inaugurated as king. He finally has peace around him. And for a very short period of time, he's going to be able to exist in the reality that he had only dreamed about for so long. He's going to be able to enjoy the palace that he has that's been made out of cedar and stone. He's going to quite literally be able to sit down at a table and eat a feast made for a king. In his head, he is as tall as he ever thought he could possibly be. He has reached the pinnacle of what God had promised him, and now he gets to just enjoy what's going on. And in these first few verses of 2 Samuel, what we find is David in his own way demonstrating his, the depths of his humanity. And it's very subtle. And yet it's extremely dangerous. You see, what David did that day when he was able to wake up and say, I am king over all of Israel and we have peace, is he allowed his circumstances to not only define his reality, but he allowed his circumstances to define his God. Look at what he does. He looks around him and he sees his house of cedar and he thinks that because my luxury is defined by my wealth, because my value is defined by the house that I was able to build, because my riches are defined by the foods that I can eat, then my God's value, my God's riches My God's worth must be defined by the same. And so at the height 
of his popularity, at the height of his success, he decides that he has something that God needs from him. And so he says, I will make a house for my God. As if God needs a house of cedar, as if God needs David for his actions. But look how subtle this is. David does exactly what you would expect a holy man of God to do, right? He turns to Nathan. He turns to God's man. He turns to God's representative. And he says, I've got this great idea. Isn't it important that we make God look better? And Nathan says, absolutely. Go for it. Do all that is in your heart. You see, friends, we have exactly the same problem. We will often allow our successes to define our God and to determine that we have something that God needs from us. And in the midst of our success, in the midst of those things that we're doing well, whether it's because you finally conquered that sin that was besetting you and now all of a sudden you have uh, an opportunity with people around you or whether it's because you've got an international platform or whether it's because you're making tons of money and the world sees you as successful. Any way you slice it, our humanity will tell us that we have something to offer God as if it adds value to him. Now David at this moment is at the height of his success. He's at the height of his popularity. But there are going to be moments that are going to come where David is on the opposite extreme. Where instead of being able to get out of bed and stand up tall and realize that he is the big man on campus, he's going to not be able to get out of bed at all. He's going to curl up in a fetal position and he's going to find himself at the, the depths of despair. And in those moments, we'll see later on that he suffers from the same human condition because in those moments, he also suffers just like we will in those moments of redefining God and suggesting that our God is so small that in those moments he can't even use us. And both extremes are lies from the pit of hell. Both extremes are telling you that your God is defined by your circumstances. And thankfully, what happens for us in 2 Samuel is God shows up on the scene. So look at what he does when God shows up and comes to Nathan and tells Nathan to correct his advice to David. What God is going to do is he's going to tell David, proverbially, stand up and be measured. Go ahead, stand up as tall as you possibly can, David. And when you do that, you're going to find out what true humility actually is. And true humility is not found in self-deprecation. True humility is not found in covering up how valuable you are. True humility is not found in building yourself up beyond what you are. But true humility is standing up tall as tall as you possibly can, doing all that you can for the God that you serve, but then recognizing how much greater God is. Look at what God says. 
starting in verse 8, he redefines David's reality. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. Did you catch it? Did you catch the Lord's response to David? It is not, oh, David, sit down and be quiet. It's not even, hey, David, you need to rewrite your CV because you didn't do those things. You were indeed a shepherd. You have been called to pastor my people. You have indeed fought off these enemies. You have brought Israel into a place of peace, but you need to recognize that I am still God and I am the one that was doing this before you. In other words, the story, David, isn't actually about you. And that is a glorious reality. And David's going to find out in this books to come, just how glorious that is. And in fact, he's going to find out by the time we get to the end of the chapter. So God looks at David and he says, stand up and be measured. Stand up and see how tall you actually are. And this can fit with you whether you're at the height of your success or whether you're at the depths of despair. Whether you find yourself with an international ministry where millions of people follow you and you are able to to do things that you only could dream of. Or whether you find yourself translating the Bible and nobody knowing anything about you, living and dying in some village in Papua New Guinea. Or whether you are a stay-at-home mom raising up the next generation of faithful followers of God. Or whether you're pastoring a church with thousands of congregants. Or you're serving as a plumber serving your clients with excellence or you're a nurse on a cancer ward just hoping to be able to pray with them last, one last time before your patients pass away. In every single instance, David's example here of being able to stand up and be counted, being able to stand up and find your true height and recognize that Just maybe you've had the wrong number in your mind. Just maybe this this whole time that you've been working and redefining your reality, you've thought you were five foot eight when in reality you're five foot five. Just maybe you thought you were the one who was responsible for putting yourself on the throne of Israel. 
And in reality, my height didn't change that day in the doctor's office, and David's value didn't change this day, but what did change was both of our understanding of the world around us. And what has to happen for you, what has to happen for you today in your walk with Christ, and what has to happen for you regularly as you come back to the scriptures is your Reality has to be redefined, not by your circumstances around you, but by the God who has put you there. And so David finds out what it means to be truly humble. And God could have left it there could have ended with that part of the story and we would have had David serving as king over all of Israel, enjoying some bits of peace here, being able to enjoy the luxuries around him. And it would have been instructive to us and it would have been helpful for us in our daily lives and we would have been able to say, yes, even David needed to be reminded of how great his God is. Even David, the one who was able to kill Goliath, the one who was able to kill the 10,000s of enemies. Even David needed to be reminded of how great that God is. And so certainly we can be reminded as well. But God doesn't leave the story there. And instead, he not only allows David to demonstrate the depths of his humanity, he not only teaches David what true humility is, but he also then redefines that reality for him by introducing him to the covenant-keeping God of Israel and giving him far more than his dreams ever could have grasped. Listen to the story as God continues and tells him what is coming. Moreover, the Lord declares to you, beginning at the back end of verse 11, that the Lord will make you a house. Other translations say a dynasty or a dynastic house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see, David, in his wildest dreams, as he reached the pinnacle of his success, the height of what he could imagine was that he could possibly make a house for God. And God says, oh, David, you think that's Imaginative, you think that's glorious? Where you wanted to build a house of wood and stone, I'm going to give a dynasty. Where you wanted to have a kingdom that would last for a few generations, I'm going to have a kingdom that lasts forever. 
where you wanted to have a son of your own flesh and blood that you could hold in your hands and then could seat on the throne and could put a a bejeweled crown on his head? I'm going to send my son in very flesh and blood. And I'm going to enthrone him on an entirely different type of throne. And I'm going to crown him with a crown of thorns. And he's going to reign forever. You see, David, your problem is even your wildest dreams are too small for this great God. When you allowed your circumstances to define who God was, you wound up dreaming way too small. So now that I've been able to give you a glimpse of who I am, God says, let me reorient those dreams. And in so doing, he gives the climactic moment of these books of Samuel. And he points ahead to Jesus of Nazareth. He points ahead to the covenant-keeping God that he is. And he makes a promise that is not based on circumstances, that is not changed by David's faithfulness or lack thereof, that is not changed by David's son's faithfulness or lack thereof. And we're going to see plenty of that in the days to come. But God makes a covenant that is based solely on who he is. David wanted a house. God gave a dynasty. David wanted an earthly throne. God gave an eternal kingdom. David wanted his son to sit in judgment. God sent his son to reign forever. We don't know exactly what David understood. We know that as David received this message, he had to have been thinking back to the covenant-keeping God that he already knew. He'd already seen it in his own life. After decades of waiting, he saw that God's word would come to fruition. And the very place that he found himself was proof that that God would indeed keep his word. But David also had all of the stories of the forefathers. He knew that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had made covenants with them, would indeed fulfill his promises. He knew that the covenant that he made with Abraham, that his people would indeed be a nation and would bless all peoples and would go into slavery and come out. He knew that that had come true. So he knew that this God who was now giving a covenant in his own right would indeed keep his word. So even in the days coming as life is going to get difficult for David, he was able to think back on that bit of who God was, on that reality. He was able to stand up straight and then realize that God was so much greater than even he was at his best. But for us, what a privilege it is to be able to look backwards on the life of Christ and the earthly ministry and be able to say that that very covenant that God made in 2 Samuel 7, that his son would reign forevermore, that his son would take on the discipline that was due all of humanity, 
that his son would never lose divine favor and that his son would then have a kingdom that would be eternal. What an awesome opportunity for us to be able to look back and be reminded of that great God by an empty cross and an empty tomb that says this God is the covenant-keeping God that we serve. So whether you find yourself in the days ahead, in David's situation here where you think you are as great as you could possibly get, whether you find yourself at the height of either worldly prosperity or even within the church and godliness and holiness and having tons of people who are listening to your wisdom and you're able to handle the word of God with righteousness and truth or whether you find yourself in the depths of despair not able to get out of bed some days in both of those situations the antidote is the same stand up stand up tall stand up as tall as you possibly can And then look up and see an empty tomb and an empty cross that reminds you of the covenant-keeping God who has said, this is the reality that matters. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are all very human. And we run the risk of allowing our circumstances to define who we are and ultimately in very subtle ways to seep in and define who you are. So God, we pray, desperately pray that you would reach into our reality Remind us who you are. Give us the desire, the affection to come back to your word time after time. To allow our understanding of you to be defined by you and not by our circumstances. And as we do that, God, we pray that you would remind us of the covenant that you made in 2 Samuel 7 that you would remind us of the empty tomb that proves that you are indeed the covenant-keeping God. And that no matter how big we think we are or no matter how small we think we are, that you, the creator of the cosmos, that you have seen fit to use us that you have seen fit to dwell with us, that you have seen fit to call us into relationship with you, that you, the one who is far beyond our wildest imagination and the one who can do far more than we could ever dream, that you are the God we serve. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
are dismissed. <laughs>